Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Mike Wise. Welcome to show number one of the Wise-Ass Show. Really excited to have Jamal Crawford on my first show. He talks about everything, including the 19 coaches he played for over 19 years, and he names them in order. Lots more and some personal anecdotes from Jay Crossover on The Wise-Ass Show. The Wise-Ass Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Wise-Ass Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about the NBA for the New York Times, Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Darlene, you're too kind and too cultured, especially for this show. The Wise Ass Show is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media, a new basketball community you are now a part of. We feature weekly podcasts that will explore the world of hoops from every perspective. Got players, journalists, executives, everything you can imagine, and they give you incredible insight. In addition to this show, The Wise Ass Show with me, Mike Wise, we have two others. The Pure Hoop Show with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, and Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko. If you sample the shows, we know you'll like them. Please subscribe and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. Welcome to the first edition of the Wise Ass Show. I'm ha- I have with me uh, one of my favorite players and probably even a better person, Jamal Crawford, the 38-year-old veteran for now the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Jamal, welcome to my very first show. And, you know, I had a lot of people that wanted to be on here. I picked you. Yeah, oh, I feel special because of that, Mike. I really do. Like, I didn't <laughs> know I was the first guest on here, but now, now we have to really make this good. That's what I was going to say. This is the dirt you're going to give me that you've never given anybody else. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you are, a, first of all, um, and anybody that doesn't know, the three-time sixth man of the year, um, a person who's sort of outlasted everyone in his own draft class. Is there, a, is there a, I guess, what I would call a, a special pride to that for you, that, that literally all the guys that were drafted in the same class as you 18 years ago, you're the only one playing professional basketball in the NBA today. Well, it's weird because um, it's a pride from the standpoint that we're still being represented. You know, I, I don't think I was uh, set out to say, hey, I'm going to outlast everybody. You know, they have those meetings uh, when you're a rookie, like, hey, look around the room. You know, half the guys in the room won't be in the league next year. Yeah, and that's – I love this um, when, when I – when I did the story on you a couple years ago um, for the undefeated, I remember your sister, Lori Skinner, telling me about a special breakfast you had. And she was like, man, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to la- I don't even know why you're in the draft, right. Jamal. What are you doing? Mateen, right. Mateen yeah. Cleaves, A.J. Guyton. I don't know how you're going to do it. 
And 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 now yeah, and, that's absolutely true. And what did you tell her after that? You know, this, these are all these years later. What did you tell her? Uh, you know, like, look, look at me now or what? <laughs> no, I was like, and you were worried. You were concerned, you know, because she she really was like, you know, there's all these good guards in this draft. Why are you coming out right now? Uh, and I was just like, just believe in me. Like, I can do it. I know I can do it. And it was nothing against them. I just knew uh, the path that I was on, you know, and God knows I, I thought it was possible. I didn't know I'd be playing, you know, all these years later. I just thought I would be good enough to get to the NBA. So, and I believed in my talent and I worked like that. And I felt like God had me on a path and a journey and it worked out that way. Jamal Crawford is um, now in his 18th season in the league. He will turn 39 years old in March. I, I never thought that I would, and not, not that you were a young knucklehead or anything, maybe those couple first years, but I never thought right. that you would be that, what do you call old sage in the locker room? You know, so the the guy that not only do you still have some game left, but you could really impart some wisdom to guys who could very much be your your children. You have twenty two year old, twenty twenty one year olds on your on your Phoenix Suns team. Yeah, yeah, in, in my nineteenth year, which is crazy. I know that. Oh, it is it? It's nineteenth. Nineteenth year. Yeah, don't crazy. let the facts get in the way of my opinions on this program. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't let that bother what's going on. Here. <laughs> but no, it, 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 it's uh. It's unbelievable because I always felt like I had a certain maturity level, like you said, after those first couple of years, especially. Mm. So I was always kind of taking younger guys or guys who were, you know, like when I was with the Knicks, I think I was 25 at the time. But then we got Nate Robinson and David Lee and you know, all the Falcons. So they may have been 22 or 21 at the time. And so I kind of took them in my wing, you know, so I've always kind of done that even before I was technically an old head, you know, so it's always mm. just been in me and, and caring about people and one of the best for people. So, uh, you know, it's something I kind of take pride in, you know, whether I get credit for it or not, I think it's the right thing to do. Well, De- Devin Booker, you look at his talent, his, his uh, maturity, do, does he remind you at all of yourself at that age, or do you think he's even even more farther along than you were? Oh, no, he's definitely further along than I was, for sure. Just his maturity level, um, you know, to be the face of a franchise that young and have that mm. kind of responsibility on you, you know, and, and do the right things on the court, off the court. Uh, you know, and, and kind of take a leadership role, even though he's young himself and starting his journey, you know, I think that's a special, you know, and he's somebody who will be uh, around for a long, long, long time, you know, and he loves the game, his talent, his work ethic and, and everything else. And he's even better than people think he is. So he'll be around a long time. People uh, to this day consider you one of the game's great showmen. I know you have so much more in your game, but is there a, yeah. are you, like when when I hear when I when Allen Iverson says you're his fa- favorite player to watch, what does that do to you? Yeah, that's that's not even real to be honest. That's what you like. That's that's not even real. <laughs> but I mean, like I live my mom. I literally had 35 pictures of, of Iverson on my wall, like that I cut out from magazines. I would mm. sit in the in the computer lab at the time, <laughs> when, when, you know, Microsoft Word was just coming out, and I would sit uh, a clip that took literally. 12 to 15 minutes to load for a 10 second clip just to restart it again. Him doing a crossover on somebody that the night before. <laughs> Do you still everything to me? I think he's had more influence on my game. Than anybody else. AI has, have you ever had a conversation with him about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I tell him that he actually, and didn't even make the, uh, the news or anything. I kind of kept him in my archives this year when we were in Philly and he came in the game uh, and he came to the game and we had a moment on the court and then he came in the locker room. Afterwards, he told me how much he loved me, and you know, 
obviously I love him and how much of a hero he is to me, you know, and just the, the love he has for my game as well. And that's just, it means everything. It, it puts everything in perspective. You know, when you have the critics and people saying this or that, I'm like, man, one of my favorite players ever loves me. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. One of the greatest, uh, greatest things that I was a part of a couple of years ago was uh, Shaquille O'Neal, um, Yao Ming and, and Allen were inducted in the same, on the same night at the hall of fame and man, yeah. when when Allen took the stage, I can't even tell you, it was like a it was like a cathartic moment. Like he everything that he had done right, wrong, he just wanted to let out. Uh, almost it, it almost became like a penance. Like hey, I'm, I made some mistakes, but I love you all. And people just we, like we did all his life and his career. We opened our arms because he was so vulnerable. Um, I I feel like that's why you liked him too. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, he didn't try to be anything he wasn't. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you, people want you to be. You have to be who you are. You have to learn at your own pace. You have to learn from your mistakes. You have to learn from others' mistakes. You have to go through it. You know, and he never tried to run from that. He wasn't perfect. He was the first person to tell you that. And he never tried to act like he was. I'm, and that's the kind of people that I'm fans of, whether it be music, um, whether it be entertainment, actors, uh, writers, whatever it might be, athletes. For me, like I love a person's talent and what they do, but I love their character so much more, and that makes me even more drawn to them. Uh, Jamal Crawford is my guest on my first podcast. I'm, I'm very honored to have him. I, um, you know, I, I would take him over a Hall of Famer any day of the week because, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you this, and I, and I mean it uh, sincerely. I believe if you were in the right situation and you had the stability that so many other players. Um, with your talent and your drive had that you 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 could have been in the Hall of Fame. You could have had multiple long playoff runs, and yet, shoot, you're on your – what are you on, your 19th coach in your 19th season? Yes, I am. <laughs> and who knows? Who knows how it ends up or shakes out because I don't know how they, they pick the criteria or anything, mm. and obviously I wouldn't be the obvious choice. But when you look at the full body of work, when it's all said and done, like you said, there'd be, you know, the Hall of Fame guys I looked up to uh, whose uh, full body of work, I'm not sure, um, would be the same. You know, so I, I, who knows how it plays out. But, yeah, I think, you know, even getting compliments like that from, like I said, people you, like you, you've seen everybody work with people and work with everybody. And to get those kind of compliments, that means everything. You can't name those coaches, can you? Um, uh, of course I could. Okay, can you do it just for me? I, I just I, like to me. I, I could not. I couldn't remember my high two high school coaches that I played for, and and I didn't play at a very high level. You played in the NBA for nineteen seasons. You're right. Okay, You're let right. me. Hear, okay, let me hear. All right, Tim Floyd. Okay. Bill, are you are you jotting this down? Yes, I am. I'm. 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 Well, I'm. I'm. Here's what I'm doing. I'm. The story I did in The Undefeated actually had Lisa Salter's interview with you. And I actually wrote every, you know, I actually quoted the uh, video. And so I, so I got the list right here. You can't, you cannot stump me on this one, my friend. Okay. Uh, Tim Floyd, <laughs> Bill Carwright, mm -hmm. Bill Berry, Pete Myers, Scott Skiles. Uh, where did I go after that? New York. So then it was uh, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams, Isaiah Thomas. Larry Brown, Mike D'Antoni. Then when I go after that, Golden State. So then it was uh, Don Nelson, 
And after that, it was Larry Drew, Mike Woodson. After that, it was Caleb Canales, Nate McMillan. <laughs> after that, it was uh, Benny Del Negro. It was Doc Rivers. And then it was uh, Tom Thibodeau. And it is Igor, Coach Igor. Oh, man. That's impressive. That's impressive. Do you, uh, I mean, impressive or sad? How would you look at it? A little bit of both. Mm. A little bit of both. I mean, because you, you think of, dang, what, what could have been in some ways, but you also are like proud because you withstood all that. You see guys leave one system and go to another, they look totally different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then you see guys in different situations and they're, you know, they're, they're perform well in a certain situation. They don't perform well in a certain situation, whatever it might be. And that's just kind of that. And they go somewhere else. They look completely different, but to kind of carve out my niche and kind of pretty much be the same everywhere after all these years and all that. And I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, you're not an emotional person. I, th I think you last uh, cried that I remembered when your grandmother passed in 2002. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and um, but you said you told me that once that if you won a title, that something inside you would well up and you know you would you know you'd lose tears over it because it's been such a, a lifelong dream. Is that still there for you? Or at this point, is it, you know, I, I, I got to get a couple more contracts and I, I got to play as long as I can and then move on to another life? No, it's still, it's definitely, it's definitely the titles. I've never been money driven. Ever like I've never been. Look at I gave up money this uh, year. Oh, and then you gave, and you and and you came yeah. along. Yeah, no, you're. I mean, and uh, and some of the deals that you signed clearly weren't the hugest deals in the world. Right. Yeah. No, I've never been money driven. I've never been fame driven. It was always just the love of the sport and love of basketball. So for me, obviously, I still want uh, to get a title. It, it it may not happen this year, you know, but. Just in general, I still want that for sure. But I, I, I'm trying to make the best out of every situation and trying to find positives in every situation. Because if I'm going to be negative about whatever situation I'm in, then I can always find an excuse to be negative or excuse not to be as happy. But you know what? It won't be the title this year, possibly. But seeing kids and younger guys go in their beginning of journeys from point A to point C could be just as gratifying for this year. You know, so that's just how I kind of look at it. Some of the things that we don't get as fans uh, and, and people and even in the media is are those behind the scenes deals that almost get done, places you could have win. Um, I heard that, and you've been very public about it, that, that Michael Jordan was interested in you um, when he was with the Wizards. And he wasn't going back to playing yet, but he was essentially making all the personnel deals. And he talked to you about it. Yeah, that was true. Um, where else could Jamal Crawford have landed that never happened? Um, Washington. Oh, that's right. We talked about that last summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington. I would say out of all the places, uh, that was probably the place that I could have landed if it didn't happen. And, and we're talking about last summer, right? Well, uh, last summer and kind of summer before that. It okay. It's been something that, yeah, the last couple of summers. And they just, and what was it? The Wizards just didn't have the money they needed to, 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 uh, uh or, or, or they, they, they could not shed the contracts they needed to to put you under the cap? Well, I won't get into that part of it. It just was like 
it just didn't it didn't work out. It just didn't. You know, so that's always one over the last few years where I was like, Oh, Washington was, you know, looking at their guard play, looking how they play through their guards, obviously with Wall and Bill and uh, you know, having role players and how they play being in the East and having a coach who played in the NBA, you know, which is I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, but it just didn't work out. You would have been a uh, you would have been a perfect guy uh to, to relieve Beal and Wall in the backcourt. Did um did, did did John Wall ever have a conversation with you about that? Yeah, me and John are good friends. You know, yeah. so I keep those conversations private, but yeah, we're good friends. We talk often. Um, and you know all the stuff that's going on with him lately. It's just rough. I mean, he's uh yeah. I mean, on one hand, he's you know, he's got this great blessing in his life, a new son, which you can relate to. Um, on the other hand, he's got this injury that won't go away, and now he shuts himself down for the season because well, in many ways, you know, I think many people can sense the Wizards aren't going anywhere right now. Well, the positive, I, I would say with that, obviously the family aspect of the son, so he gets to spend more time. But yeah. I think in his, in his defense, I think he finally found a way to correct what he's been dealing with. A lot of people don't know that, you know, players deal with so many bumps and bruises and play through it, you know, just to be out there for their team and to be out there uh, trying to represent as best as possible. But you know, probably the pain probably got too much, and he was like, you know what, I may have to sit out now and take a step back, but I'll be so much better for it when I come back because of, uh, you know, I'll be all the way healthy, and I'm sure that's all he ever wanted. Yeah, uh, completely. And I think that um, if if ever a guy deserves it, and based on how you know him, I know him much less than you do, but from the times he's let me into his own world, I mean, you you root for people like that, just where they came from, what they've dealt with, and and also, you know, just a lot of people can handle adversity. Not everybody can handle prosperity when you get there. Right, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. Like you said, dealing with so many different situations and coming up through what certain guys come up through there to, you know, do everything perfect and everything right. And, like, we go back, circling back to Iverson, that's a lot of the reason why I loved him because he was imperfect, but he wasn't afraid to say it or show it. Yeah. Um, if you had to take, let's say, the uh, Jamal Crawford's all-time uh, team, like the, 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 the guys that you would, guys that you would like, you know, let's say you put four out there and you're the fifth guy, uh, who would it be? And what's only fitting, I'd be the sixth man first off. <laughs> nice. I can get another player out of you. <laughs> um, all time. Yes. All time, every because because you're a student of the game, you're a, you're a historian. You know, you know, you 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 know this better than a lot of us that even write it. Right? Are we talking just positions, or how are we doing this? I'm 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 of the opinion that you go with who you would want to. I mean, look at it as a game at the park. You're in you're in Renton, and you're in that and you're driving up in your Oldsmobile blue baby blue Cutlass as a 16 year old, and you have you like you like the detail, right? And and I do like that. I like I like the mindset you're putting me in right now. And all of a sudden, you're driving up to that court, and, and it's and, and the lights just come on. It's almost dusk, and you're just trying to hold the court. And you got and you got five dudes on the side. I don't care who they are. Like I always say, Mount, Mount Rushmore. I almost think this should be a Mount Rushmore for big men and a Mount Mount Rushmore for wing players. And I would I go like Bird Magic. Uh, LeBron and Michael, but 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 a lot of people would differ on that. So I'd like to hear Jamal Crawford. Ooh. Oh, well, oh, man, this is so tough. 
I'm only going to say people who I actually seen play with my own eyes. Like, fair. That's fair. Like, who I was alive to watch. Like, obviously, there's so many great players like Wilt. You know, but I, like, I didn't actually see them with my own eyes. But, um, you know, I saw tape, obviously. But, I mean, like, I was born and I was watching them. But, obviously, Magic Michael, uh, Shaq. Could you imagine Shaq at the park? Uh, um, it'd be incredible. Yeah, Michael Magic Shaq. Uh, oh my uh, goodness, Kobe and LeBron. Yeah, I I can't argue with you. I mean, I might throw Oscar in there just because I'm old school. I might. Yeah, but see, no, I'm, I might I'm, throw. I'm, I might I'm, find I'm, a way to get a Hakeem Akeem in there. Uh, but but or Duncan. But who knows? I mean, you can't go wrong with yeah. that. You can't. You can't go wrong. You can name. Then I can name another five that could play against them. Like you can't go wrong. With that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, so you, you can't go wrong. Any five you say that when you get to that type of that level of greatness, I don't you can go wrong with going to a park. But. No, that would be amazing. Um, I mentioned that park because one of the uh, one of the best parts of the story was going there with you and Jalen Jamal, JJ, your your oldest son, and man, that was just like. They, a place where you basically made your name and dreamed your dreamed your dream and worked your game, that became Jamal Crawford Court. And to me, that's, I don't know, I, I, I'm sure you go by every now and then, and uh, I don't know, do you, ever, do you ever just drive by and look who's playing and see? Because that, that to me, is uh, it, it says something about not just legacy, but what, what that whole area thinks of you and what you think of them. Yeah, I always do, actually. Every single time I'm home, uh, you know, at least a couple times a week, I'll drive by when they don't know it, just to watch them play or, you know, just to get out the car and shoot with them or, you know, just anything. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling just knowing that all my dreams and stuff started there. They didn't actually start there, but there were so many of my dreams that happened when I was there, you know, and just trying to hold down the court and just trying to make my name come back to Seattle and just trying to get better, you know, and, and to know that the court is named after me, that there's a legacy that is unbelievable. You're listening to The Wise-Ass Show. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. The Wise-Ass Show is just one of three weekly shows we have for you. Make sure to check out Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko and The Pure Hoops Show with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J. is a Chicago Bulls OG who won three chips with MJ, Scotty, and Phil. And aren't we all on a first-name basis anyway? He is also a player agent representing some of the NBA's biggest names. His stories and guests will take you to places you never imagined. Check out the Pure Hoop Show with BJ and Eric Newman each week, wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe. Now back to Jamal. Yeah, the people that don't know Jamal's story thinks, ah, oh, he just grew up in Seattle. He was this guy that, um, you know, I know Rainer Beach High, that, that's not really the hood, what is it? Rainer, well, see, people in Seattle think it's the hood. This is true. This the is true. Seattle. Yeah, they would say it's a hood for sure. But but when you're you're at you're at Rainer Beach High, uh, before you're at Rainer Beach High, you you have this thing where you're too much of an incorrigible kid. Your mother sends you south to live with your father in Los Angeles. Uh, your father, people don't know, Clyde Crawford played with Kevin Love's father at Oregon in the 1970s. So you had some ball in your background a lot of people don't know about. But you're, you're down there with your dad and your grandmother, and you obviously run into some gang life in L.A. 
Can you give me the story about you and Paul Pierce meeting up in the barbershop when he you were about, I don't know, what, 13, and he must have been about 17 or 16? I don't know. Can you tell me the story? It just yeah. sounds so great. Like, uh, it was either 13, 17, or 14, 18. That was the age difference. So it was okay. Uh, it was, we went to the same barbershop, and I was skipping school. Right, and this was in Inglewood, in right, somewhere? Yeah, this is in Inglewood, yeah. And he was a senior, actually. So, you know, as a senior, you pretty much have all your stuff figured out already. Certain classes, you may have a couple classes off. You only need to go to school for four periods. Who knows? But with that, he looked at me. I'm like, you know, we start talking and he got competitive. And I knew I was good, but I hadn't proven it because I, I made my high school team <laughs> as a freshman in varsity, but I, I wasn't playing. So I, I was like, this is the, the great Paul Pierce. After we got competitive in beef mode. I'm like, this is the great Paul Pierce everybody's talking about. You know, like, this is the guy. Like, he doesn't look that great to me. Like, this is him. You know. So, I'm thinking I'm going to see a LeBron-type action figure. Like, you know, this is Paul Pierce. You know, so I'm like, this is the guy. He's like, he looked at me for a second, got quiet, and just lit me up. Ain't you supposed to be in class? How are you going to talk to me? You ain't even played high school basketball yet. You know, so... He lit me up. And, yeah, he said, you know, I, I, I talked to him about it later, and he was like, yeah, I was like, what you doing ditching school and hanging out here at the barbershop? And and uh, I look at that now, and I'm like, two guys that end up teenagers that ended up in the NBA. It's just crazy to me. Crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. And it's just, a, it's just a thing. And, but you know what? It struck a chord in me because I'm like, he's, even if I didn't want to admit at the time, I'm like, he's right. How can I say anything if I haven't even played high school basketball? So in a roundabout way, I better get focused and, you know, at some point get my stuff together at school. Yeah. And you did, and you weren't doing very well. Um, one of the great things that Jamal Crawford's grandmother did for him and his father, they, they put together a scrapbook of all these memories of his life, gave it to him many, uh, several years ago. He still keeps it with him. I saw, I saw, shoot, I saw your spring semester transcripts from 10th grade where you got all these D's, a couple F's in Spanish and chemistry. And I was like, what is this man, this guy? And, and all of a sudden you had this epiphany, like, all right, I'm at the Crate Western Forum. I'm sneaking in. I see Magic um, during his comeback. I, I see Tupac Shakur. I see MC Hammer, Ella Cool Jane. I'm like, I want this life. I want this life. And you decide to call your sister, Lori Skinner, back in Seattle, and you tell her, I want to come back. I want to come back. And your father and grandmother, they don't, they don't want to let you go back. So she sends you a this is back before the internet. She sends you a, an airplane ticket in the mail, and you check the mail to make sure you find it before anybody else. I want you to tell people the story about you hiding a suitcase in the back and how you went about leaving home and running away and back to Seattle, how, and how they didn't even know. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It really was. So uh, obviously, I wasn't doing too much better in Los Angeles, which everybody thought I needed a father figure, and that's my dad and grandmother were, so they wanted me to live there. But I wasn't doing too much better uh, academically. And I just felt like, you know what, I need to go back to Seattle. Yeah, I learned some things here. Uh, I learned how to set a table, how to walk the lawn, how to pick up dog poop. I, I learned how to go to church. I learned a lot of things, but I want to get back in my comfort zone, and now I know exactly what I need to do. And so, obviously, when I was trying to go back before that, my mom, I mean, my, my dad and grandmother were like, no, you know, you're going to go back to doing the same things you were doing before you left. And so, after that, uh, my sister was on board with me, and she's like, okay. So, she sent me a plane ticket back then. It was an electronic ticket, so they had to send the ticket. So, I had to check the mail every single day first. And then, once I got a ticket, the ticket was for like a month out. Once I got a ticket, I had a suitcase I buried in the backyard, 
And when I was watering the grass, whatever the, the, the outfit I wore to school, I would just put in the suitcase. So I didn't just, you know, clean out my closet at once. I did it one at a time. And then the clothes I had that I didn't like, I just put those in the closet. It looked like my closet was still full. Boom, come up with this master plan. And the day it was time to go, uh, you know, I had a friend give me a ride, got my backpack, left a letter, and I was gone. Yeah, the letter, by the way, and I'm going to read it back to you because it's it's touching, but it's also like, you know, you're, you're leaving for this different life and you let your grandma know, dear grandma, I feel very sorry for the way I've been disrespecting you of late. I should understand that what you are trying to teach me is things I'm going to need to make it in life. But I do feel strongly about going back to Seattle. Nothing against you. I just like it better there. So I'm sorry. Love, Jamal. I mean, that's priceless. You were, you were what, 15, 16 years old. Um, and yep. and that was that the grandmother who passed away in two thousand two. Yeah. What was now, she? She passed away. She passed away after that. That my grandmother in two thousand two. That was my mom's mother. Your mother's mother. Okay. What was your what was your grandmother's mother name? Um, who um, who you wrote that letter to? Oh, that was Lena Crawford Poole. That was my grandma. Mm. Grandma Lena. I mean, man, that that's touching. And then you come back, and it's just crazy. You go from. This guy that left Seattle uh, at, for L.A. at 13, you were just this skin and bones eighth, grade, eighth grader. And by the time you return, you're 16, you're about 6'4", almost uh, you know, on your way to 6'6". And you're still, I mean, to this day, you, you look like you have corn silk for arms. I don't know how you stay so thin and in shape other than, other than your chef during the summer who, is it Scott? Jeff Scott, you know it. You know, yeah, because you know why? Because he made me some some Rice Krispie treats with crunch berries in them, and to this day, they were the best Rice Krispie <laughs> treats I've ever had. There you go. You can tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but so you're this thin guy, but you but you blow up. You all of a sudden you start showing up at Liberty Park, and you're playing late into the night, and grown men can't take you, and you and, and grown grown men can't check you. And all of a sudden, your life changes. Jerry Tarkanian's recruiting you from Fresno State. Uh, you're, you, you know, you were a big Fab Five kid with the baggy shorts. Once Michigan got involved, you're like, I'm going. I'm going to become a Wolverine. So, like, wh what a change. Um, do, do you look back at that as a fork in the road in your life, right there? It was definitely a fork in the road when I when I ran away and came back to Seattle. Because at that point, I know exactly what I need to do, and it was up to me if I was going to do it or not. I was 16 years old. It got to the point of, okay, this is you only got a couple years left of high school. Either you're going to make this happen or you're not. And that was the fork in the road. That was, as I say in the basketball game, that was the moment of truth uh, for me in my life and which way I wanted to go. And I became even more dedicated to basketball. I became way more dedicated to school, obviously. And that was it. I hit the ground off and running. You were working at the Key Arena, I believe. Uh, your sister helped. Your other sister helped you get a job there, right? Yeah, my sister Lisa. I have two sisters, so Lisa helped me get a job there. Yeah, and she, and so you worked, and you were basically, you know, uh, bringing popcorn and cotton candy up from the basement of the arena to the vendors, and Gary Payton and Sean Kemper were running the floor back then. But you get up for class every day after getting home from work, sometimes at one or two a.m. And it wasn't whether it was math, reading comprehension. Every day you were with this tutor, and you and you just needed to do something past the SAT. Can you give me that scene where uh, you actually show up and your transcripts show up in the mail? 
Yeah, yeah. So my transcripts, my SAT score actually showed up in the mail. And my mom, my sisters, my grandma, and everybody's kind of, you know, waiting around to see. And I had a good feeling about the test. I had a really good feeling. I said, like, I think I did well. Like, I, and then when I, I saw the first score, because, you know, they combined the scores. When I saw the first score, uh, I was like, wow, I passed. And it was 1,000. Mm-hmm. I got 1,000 on the SAT. And I think the highest you can get is 1,600 maybe. I got a thousand, and I I knew I did well. I knew I got the qualifying score. I think I needed like an eight ten or something, and I felt like I did that. But thousand was impressive to me, and I couldn't wait to show it off. I was just as proud of that as I was of any uh, recruiting letter or any newspaper or any write up I ever got. Mm. The um, Lori, I remember, said it was like the boys in the hood scene where Ricky, your scores came in, and you know, and all of a sudden the whole family's rejoicing, and the. And and your mother Venor's crying and everything like what a it's just a neat scene and it showed your, your perseverance basically and all of a sudden you you know year after college you're in the NBA. <laughs> yes, because that was such a huge hurdle. You know what I mean? Like that that I couldn't have went without that. So it was like you almost not new, but you're like okay now he has a real chance. He has a chance of of going Division One. He's a chance of accepting a scholarship. He has a chance of doing this. So all those emotions came out when we were opening up and everybody was rejoicing and just happy and just excited and just, you know, beyond themselves. So it was unbelievable. And that's, that's something I'll never forget. And your life changes. Uh, you all of a sudden you, you hang at you're, you're, you're hanging and you're playing with Michael Jordan at hoops, the gym and Tim Grover is trainer. This is a story that I, I don't know if it's true, but I heard it once and I might've heard it from you as well. You got, he asked you to play, pickup basically the summer that he was getting ready for the wizards and you basically were on his team every day i heard that you guys did not lose a single pickup game that summer no we didn't we asked not one game not one game think about it we're playing for you know two two and a half hours three hours a day and we didn't lose a whole summer not one time it got to the point because you know when you're a younger player you have to train with your actual team that drafted you so i was training doing like you know weight conditioning and all that strength and conditioning with the Bulls, but I would go play with MJ after I did my my, my stuff and handled my business up that way. So it got to a point where he would kind of wait. For you? Wait until I showed up, I'm sorry. And got to play. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great. Man. Jordan would wait for you to play. Did I now this did did uh, William Gates, the kid from Hoop Creams, play with you guys at all? He played a little bit. He played a little bit. Uh, I remember him in a, a couple of the settings. I don't know if it was uh, because after the Jordan setting, after that, certain guys would come play some more once we kind of dialed it down. You know, guys that couldn't get on the court at the time. You yeah. know, so they try to make an NBA only VIP, VIP, VIP type thing. I mean, you play on Michael Jordan, so you've done the best of the best. So even mm-hmm. if you, you know, played overseas and even played in there for a little bit, you kind of had to wait it out a little bit. Yeah. The most uh, controversial part of the story I wrote about you, obviously, was when you were gambling um, with my. You got to be pretty close with Jordan. You guys were socially, you did things with that crew, and they trusted you. They brought you into their world. And one of the things, and you know, Jordan makes no bones about this, is there were there were there were gambling games set up at one of his restaurants. I think it was One Sixty Blue in Chicago. Yeah. And, and so you end up in there one night. He's playing cards, a couple guys playing cards, NBA players, and you end up playing craps, a game that you used to clean up back in the day on the streets of L.A. and Seattle. 
And could you, I mean, I, I know we talked about it, but I think it's a good, what I call um, a, a lesson for any young player that sort of gets in over his head. I mean, this was, this was, a, this was a very humbling night for you. Can you tell people what happened? Yeah, for me, it was just basically uh, one of those days, same day after the gym. And like I said before in the article, I can't talk about everybody else, but my part in it. Yeah. Um, I was on the side in a, in a room, you know, and I was gambling. Got in over my – first, I was winning, actually. It sounds crazy. I was actually winning. So what were you up? You were up in craps. How much? Yeah, I was up a couple thousand. You know, okay. A few thousand. Yeah. Okay. And then and you're feeling good. I up. I bought a little bit of cash for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I could have left in, but it, it happened so fast. Like, we would go spend, you know, a, a bunch of time there, and it happened so fast that I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave now. You know, I'm going to hang out a little bit. And, and uh, you know, then other players start joining our game. There was, you know, other players playing cards or whatever. And with that, you know, they came over. I lost a little bit. Then I had to start betting on other players. And then when that happened, uh, that's when it all went downhill. You know, and I learned a valuable lesson that day. Uh, not to get in over your head, number one. Uh, no one to say no, cut your losses. And then just not to, not to, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use. But I just, I never gambled from that point on outside of an actual casino. So for me, I just learned lessons that day. And you're like, you're dealing with professional gamblers. Do you look at, was Michael the one who told you, you know, that's it, stop? Or do you remember what exactly happened uh, and how much you actually got down, you say, uh, roughly? Yeah, a few people said stop at that point. You know, so yeah, it was just, because here I am, a rookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm fresh out of, yeah, so it, it was, I got it in my head, period. And it was few like, you need to stop, you know, because you're competitive and, you're trying to chase at that point. You're not even trying to win. You're just trying to chase your money back, and and that's when it got bad. And, and that's what I learned too. Like you can't chase. You got to cut your losses. You don't have a set amount or whatever you feel like doing. Even if you go to casino, like if you want to go and play, you know, say your limit's two two hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or whatever it might be. If you lose that, that's it. You know, take that with you, and that's it. Don't try to chase what you what you will ultimately continue to lose. The toughest part, I imagine, was I think you walked out and you had to give away your 2001 Benz S-Class 430 or something. And you, before you handed over the keys to the person you lost the money to in crafts, um, you took out your basketball. What's that feel like? You're in a parking lot of Michael Jordan's restaurant, your rookie season. Even though you're, I don't know, probably on an $8 million deal then, you still lost a lot of money and you're giving up a car. Yeah, yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. Like it was, it was something you definitely don't feel good about. Like I took a lot of pride in that car, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've never had a Mercedes, obviously. So, I mean, that's just yeah, you know that I a lot of us can't. Do you now that the league has sort of embraced the whole sports betting thing? Do you think that's healthy, or do you worry about that based on what you've seen in your own experience? I have to be all the way honest with you. I never even thought about it. Like I hear the whole the gambling thing is legal now, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, because I, I don't gamble at all no more, so it's not even sure. any interest to me. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really doesn't affect me either way. And I mean, I look at and I pointed this out in the story too. Like you, this was this was something you you're glad looking back that it happened to you early in your career. I mean, that that this mistake Absolutely. was made and you and it made you. It was such an epiphany that you changed. Absolutely, I had to. I mean, think about that. Like, if if this happens, 
at this point, or when I'm 10 years in, when I made so much more money, the loss could have been so much more because I really would have been chasing it then, you know? But if you do as a rookie, you learn your lesson, don't ever get in that situation again. I haven't, thank God. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's not, I don't look at it as a loss now, I look at it as a lesson. When you, um, I, I love your piece um, uh, in the Players' Tribune a couple of years ago where you basically wrote a piece about the f- best five players who create their own shots. I mean, I, I look at all the things you've done for the game. And, you know, I, I, and I don't know if I told you this, but I sent Adam Silver, and I shouldn't be doing this as a journalist, but I sent Adam Silver an email a couple of years ago and I said, look, this guy has been everywhere. Everybody, he's everybody's favorite teammate. You know, and and there's no reason for him not to be and share the experience of an all-star game, because if there's ever a guy that you want in an all-star game, he's probably the best all-star player there ever was. Just to just to watch him work his game, you know, stutter step, crossovers, I mean, everything. And and I think they did invite you. Didn't the NBA invite you? Well, I got invited to some other stuff. I've got invited to Skills Challenge and Three Point before. Okay, but yeah, I, I never got actually invited to the All Star game, even though I think I was pretty close on the list of a couple guys that had to pull out or injured. But I never actually made it. So yeah, I have I have a bunch of moves I've never pulled out, and I was saved just for that. And I can still pull out on demand very easily, but I just was waiting. So why don't you go? Just like show up at a skills challenge. I mean, is it are you too are you not pr- too prideful? But like, why are you putting me in the skills yeah. challenge? Why, why, I don't want to just be a novelty at this age. That's that's kind of it, though. You're right. I, I kind of thought, at uh, I kind of thought that my talent uh, warranted at least making one All Star game. So I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna go until I actually play an All Star game. And I just I didn't want to be the guy who was just going to hang out or the guy who was just going to have a good time. And, you know, like, I was like, if I'm going to be here, I want a reason to be here. I need to show I deserve to be here. And for me, unfortunately, it just never happened. So I've never been. And and so even now, like, why wouldn't you go to Charlotte in a month just to, you know, be a part of that scene? I mean, I'm sure Jordan would like to see you. I'm sure everybody else. I could just go and crash a party. I could sneak in the game or something in the all-star game and just crash it and pull out, (laughs) pull out those eight sick moves real quick and just run away and be like, Hey, I did it. Hey, you! I always say you're a walking mixtape, man. Even to the even at this age, uh, rapid fire here because you know, like I'm more into the story than I am all the gossip and stuff in the NBA this year. But there are a couple issues going on, and I'd love to go quick go over them quick with you. Um, uh, Blake Griffin snubbing Steve Ballmer, the owner of since of Seattle billionaire that you know very well um, and a person that you really like playing for. Um, Blake Griffin ran right by him the other night. Um, your feelings about that situation being on both sides of it? Well, Blake, I'm going to make it short and sweet. Blake said he didn't do it intentionally. Blake's never, I don't know what he said. He said he's never, he didn't do it intentionally. He has a workout routine that he's always done, and he was more focused on that. So I'm going to take what Blake says for face value. You said take it at face value. Um, the guy on your team, uh, I believe, Deontay, DeAndre Ayton, I think I know everybody and their mom is saying Luka Doncic for Luka, Luka Doncic for Luka, rookie of the year. I I, I kind of think he's a sleeper candidate still. You? I, I think so. He should be. I think he's unbelievable. I really do. Like he's he's gonna be one of the faces of the league for years to come. He absolutely will. He's so unselfish. He's so talented. He has no agenda. He's 
he's going to be a face of the league for the big guys for years to come, without a doubt. So, I mean, I think he should be right there. Obviously, uh, Luca is, is having a heck of a year, but I think DeAndre is as well. You, um, I was thinking of uh, your goals after the NBA. I always see you, I, I could see you running for mayor of Seattle or even bigger than that because of you, you just have this, I don't want to say you're political, but you have a way of connecting with people that few people I've ever met, and I've met Obama and you have too. I have not, you, you, when you look somebody in the eye and there's 50 people around, they feel like it's just you and them. Have you ever thought about public office? Uh, yes and no, if mm. that makes sense. I, I, I never thought about it in a way like I would seriously consider it. Yes. Like, I don't think I'd ever run for president, right? But I think that I, I, I have some, I'm looking in the sky as I answer this, actually, because I'm, think, I'm truly thinking about it. I have some, uh, like you said, connections and stuff with people, and it's a, it's a genuine thing. So I may not technically be the mayor of Seattle, but I, I think I may have some of the same responsibilities, even though I'm not the mayor. <laughs> You're already carrying the flame, the torch for the city. Um, the uh, When I think of after post-career, I also know that you there are a few guys that are basketball junkies like you and that will play every day. Do you think you could be a player personnel guy, a GM in this league, and would you want to do that? Without a doubt, yes. That's what I would want to do for sure. I watch so much basketball, and I think uh, – my eyes will, will not deceive me in, in the knowledge I have in the game. Uh, and I've been doing this since I was two years old. And I, I, I think I've been around it long enough and have learned enough that I can absolutely, uh, you know, identify talent. I think I can uh, kind of help put teams together and, and things of that nature. I know there's more responsibility with it than that, but I definitely could do that. And you will, um, you would do that for what team if you had your druthers? Uh, the Seattle Sonics. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Given that there is no current franchise there and no current mo- actual uh, uh, actual uh, vote before the NBA Board of Governors to do so, what would be your second team? Oh, I don't know if there is a second. I'm just going to stay with that one for now. Fingers crossed. So you really believe that that's going to happen? And some of that basketball will yeah. come back to I, Seattle. I truly believe it will happen at some point. You, believe, you you have a summer league there. It, you took it over from Doug Christie. Um, I believe it's at Seattle Pacific. Is that correct, University? It is. And Doug, uh, you know, trusted me to, to kind of make it happen, to kind of, uh, you know, really um, kind of just continue the blueprint. He was giving guys the opportunity to play, guys that played overseas, guys that played in the NBA and high school and beyond. And he knew I would be right by it because that's something that I always – uh, grew up in, you know, and I took a lot of pride in that. So to see it get to this point and, and beyond is something that, you know, I don't take for granted and it's something very special. Yeah. I, and, and I will not go in, I will not go into the one time, Jamal, that I played with you on a court in Seattle. I mean, why not? Why won't you well, here's the, here's the problem. I actually had been working out, shooting, and I thought I, I thought I, you know, when you you got some of your guys that ran with you, some old high school guys, and there was also some decent college players there. And I go down the lane. I, I want to say this is first, you know, two points into the into the game, and you give me this sweet dish in the lane, and I blow out my hamstring. It was embarrassing. 
Yeah, you, I, I was more concerned with the injury. Though. I wasn't worried that you, you, you know, missed the layup or whatever. I was more concerned with the hamstring. So are you okay now with that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's I, I'm working through it. It's the kind of thing where I just, yeah, I, I, um, I, it's depressing. I mean, I know I didn't expect to, like, be the guy in that game. I thought I would actually convert one sweet J crossover assist, and I could not even do that, and it still haunts me to this day. Um, so, yeah, you, you have this great house in Seattle. Um, you have this great family. I believe you're um, you even you're tight with your your center from high school, Dave, still, who, by the way, I need to have Shaquille O'Neal call to make good on a promise to you. Um, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. I will. I, I will def- so excited by that. No, I will definitely do that. He's just a salty the earth guy. And and I, I just want to ask, like, I'm not going to hit you up for using your cottage in Seattle that you let Wale stay at next to your house. Um, unless you really want me to, and I'll break every journalism ethic rule, I will. And, but, but I, but I do want to be there when you play your last game. If you could call me beforehand, it would mean a lot to me. I know you're not going to have some big retirement ceremony, but there's something to me that says um, more than anything that your journey's been about perseverance, longevity, and and just you know finding a way, like a chameleon almost finding a way to stick around for 19, maybe 20 years. If you can get a gig next year, um, I think there's something to be said for that. And if, you know, and if, and if a three times six man of the year can't at least warrant some hall of fame consideration, well, 19 years, all those shake and bake moves and the numbers you put up and, and the, the joy of a teammate you were to people that you were around, I think says something. And I, so that's why I do want, if you could let me know beforehand when when you plan to um, hang it up, I will be there. I will definitely let you know. I will definitely let you know when it's when it's time and when it's the, the game or, you know, the season or when I know, okay, this is it. I'll let you know. You'll be privy to that. Hmm. And there was a guy, he does some little podcast somewhere. You were nice enough to go on with him. Um, he said something to the effect of, um, you're never going to retire. You're never going to retire from basketball. Is that true? <laughs> That is true. I mean, even when I retire from the NBA, I'll be in the, the gym with my sons, with, with guys playing like me and you were playing. I'll always play. Like, the love of the game will never leave. So, for me, uh, that love will never leave. It'll, it'll be with me until I'm no longer here. And the game's been so good to me, I'll always be good to the game as well. Jamal Crawford, uh, my first guest on the Wise Ass Show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, thanks for everything. You mean you, uh, not? You mean a lot to me as a player, but you mean a lot to me. You mean even more to me as a person. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it, and I, I'm truly honored, seriously, that I'm your first guest because you could add anybody. So, thank you. That's it. Show number one in the books. Thank you for listening to the Wise Ass Show. I really couldn't have done it without your subscriptions. Same goes for the Pure Hoops Media Group, who helped me put it together. And, of course, Jamal Crawford sharing his insights, his stories, and all the good stuff from the last 19 years of his career. Show number two up next week. Looking forward to it. Please join me. Be there. Aloha. Aloha.